Well, over the course of this message series, what we've been doing is taking a look at certain ways in which people who follow Jesus will look different. It might be how they look. It might be what they do. It might be um, how they think or what they say. And, you know, in a world where everyone is working hard to kind of fit in and be like everyone else, I'm hoping what you take away from this message series is that in some really important ways, it's good to be different. In fact, I hope that you have something working inside of you throughout this series, in your heart and in your mind that's like, I don't want to be like everyone else. That it's good to be different because in a lot of ways, different, different than the world is better. Well, today, as we get going into our content, um, I want to talk to you about this word. The word is expectations. Have you ever had any? And some of you who are Twins fans are like, yeah, I used to, but then I became a Twins fan, and now I don't have any, especially not this year. No expectations anymore. You know, in almost every area of life, we go into it with expectations. And that's, that's not a bad thing. But a lot of times, the realities of life don't always mesh with the expectations that we had going into certain things. As you know, today's Mother's Day. And that can be true about being a mom as well, that the realities of being a mom is not always the same as what you expected going into it. I reached out to a few North Cross moms this week to kind of see if there was anything that sort of struck a chord with them about expectations versus reality. (laughs) Here are some comments that I got from moms. One mom said, I never expected the number of emotions you can go through in such a short amount of time. Sad, happy, angry, joyful, sometimes all in the same day. And then a little later, she said, also, I didn't expect the noise level which might have something to do with uh, the emotions at times, I'm assuming. Uh, Another mom had this to say, I was surprised that you really are okay giving them your last piece of cake. A dad would never say that. But a mom, yes. I thought it was just obligatory that you sacrificed for your kids, but it actually feels natural and rewarding to be able to give them what they need or want most times. Good. Next one. I never expected how hard it would be to watch your kids hurt, wanting to fix something that you may not be able to fix. I get that. Next one. I thought something magical would happen. That's expectations. When that baby was placed in my arms, the reality was I felt overwhelmed and underqualified for this responsibility. I'm betting a lot of moms can relate. Or how about this one? I thought I'd be a perfect parent, and then I had a child. Yeah, if in the realm of motherhood that expectations and realities don't mesh, this is proof that very rarely in life are things going to be exactly the way we thought they would be. And when 
reality doesn't mesh with expectation. If the expectations were low, we come away being pleasantly surprised because things were better than we thought. But if expectations were high, we come away feeling deeply disappointed because something was lacking from what we had expected. And so we all have to deal with this, this difference, this gap between expectation and reality. And over the years, I found that some people deal with it this way. They end up in their lives having no expectations. And so they just go through life thinking that everything's going to be bad. Because then when they're better than bad, well, they feel, well, not disappointed. And they feel pleasantly surprised. Now, I suppose this is a way to go through life, but it is a really stinky way to go through life. That I just, you know, I'm just going to think the worst about things and then, you know, hopefully I'll be pleasantly surprised. I think there's a lot better way. Instead of having no expectations, I think it's good to have this, to have realistic ones. That as we go into different seasons of life, that we, we listen to people who've been there before, that we do a little investigating on what it might be that we should expect that we listen to wise mentors or uh, wise people in our lives and that we go into different seasons, not with no expectations, but with realistic ones. And that's what I want to do with you today. I want to be real with you. I want to be real with you about what it means if you call yourself a Christian and have the desire to follow Jesus. It's our first fill-in for today. Here's the real. Following Jesus won't always be easy. In a lot of ways, it's the harder path, the narrow road. And if you're someone who's new to the Bible, new to Jesus, maybe new to North Cross, this maybe isn't the message that you want to hear about following Jesus and being a Christian. And frankly, as a pastor, I'd rather not share this message either. When people are considering Jesus, what what I'd like to tell them if I could choose was, you become a Christian and everything is wonderful. All your problems go away. Marriage is a piece of cake. Motherhood is just wonderful 24-7. You never get sick as a Christian and it never, ever, ever rains on your vacation if you follow Jesus because it's amazing. But for those of you who have followed Jesus, for those of you who are Christians, you know already that that's just not the case. And there are some pastors and some preachers I've heard over the years that would like to make you think that if you are going through difficulty, if you are suffering for the name of Jesus, that there must be something wrong with you, that you just need to believe more. You have to have more faith. There's, There's something about you that's wrong. And that is just not reality necessarily. 
So today, I'd like to give you something different, a different perspective. Because I want you to have realistic expectations about what to expect, whether you're a longtime Christian or just looking into Jesus for the very first time. I don't want you to have no expectations. I, even more than that, Peter, wants you to have realistic ones. And so what we've been doing in this series is looking at a couple letters that a disciple of Jesus named Peter wrote. And the context, again, is he's writing to Christians all over the Roman Empire, around the Mediterranean Sea, and he's recognizing that they were going through a pretty horrible time. That it was really hard in the first century to be a Christian. And many were wondering whether they should continue. Many of them were losing hope. And Peter's writing to them to help them better understand a different perspective around suffering and what Jesus, what God might be up to through all of it. Today, we're going to be in chapter four of Peter's first letter. It starts this way. He writes, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Fiery ordeal. Some commentators think that Peter's being very literal here, and he could have been, Because Christians at the time, some of them were actually facing fire as this was a way that the Roman government would get rid of and martyr people who followed Jesus. But what we know for sure is that fiery ordeal is referencing difficult times, is referencing, I'll use the word persecution and suffering in the name of Jesus. And do you notice what Peter says? He says, don't be surprised. He said, don't think that it's something strange. He's saying, I want you to have realistic expectations. You shouldn't be surprised that if you bear the name Jesus, if you follow him, that there's gonna be suffering. (laughs) Told you it's a hard message. And I have to imagine that part of what Peter is thinking in this moment is maybe going back to the night before Jesus died. And Jesus is in that upper room in Jerusalem. And not only did he start communion or the Lord's Supper that evening, but he also taught them a whole bunch of things. And some of it was laying out expectations. That night, here's what Peter heard Jesus tell him and the other disciples. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. You know, that theme really comes out in Peter's letter too, if you've been with us for this series, that whole idea that we're aliens or exiles in this world. Peter learned that, of course, from Jesus. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. 
Jesus had some hard messages for his followers, for his people. And in the first century, this was fulfilled in what the Christians endured, especially as you think of thousands of Christians being martyred. Again, whether that be by fire or by being fed to wild animals, in many other ways it was seen in how they were beaten for their faith. In the first century, families were separated, parents from their children. Did you know this was the era where godparents or sponsors first came about because many parents were not able, Christian parents, to be with their children into adulthood because they'd be ripped away? What does this look like 2,000 years later, this because they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you as well. I was doing a little bit of research this week and found a statistic that I was unaware of, but worldwide over the last decade, there's been more Christians killed because of their faith, true martyrs, than in any other 10-year span in history, according to people who study these things. On average, about 300 Christians a month die because of the name of Jesus. What does this look like in America? Well, let me pause there and first say, we've got it pretty good, guys. For all the the disdain that it seems like Christians have for their country and is everything perfect, no, but we're pretty blessed No one was standing at the door today as I came in to practice my sermon a little more saying, you better leave here and not preach about Jesus. I think the biggest struggle you probably had this morning was getting the kids dressed, not coming to church because someone was going to stop you. So I want to first just thank you, Lord, for the ability to worship without fear. But there's persecution still, isn't there? Even for us, what does this look like? It might be a job opportunity that got passed over you because people knew that you were more about your faith than you were really about advancing your career, that you had those priorities in place. Young people, um, persecution might look like the inability to get a second date because you're really clear about your stance on sexual purity. It might be being excluded from certain gatherings. And by the way, young people, this happens to adults too, being excluded from certain things because you bear the name of Jesus. That's okay. It it might be not being invited to certain things It might mean that you find out that people are talking behind your back. Sometimes they talk right to your face. It might mean that people label you as being old-fashioned and closed-minded or maybe even worse. Here's again what Peter said. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. We are in this world, but we were not those who follow Jesus made just for 
this world. We are different. And that's not only okay, that is good. And it leads us to our second fill-in for today. The reality is this, that we are at war. We are at war every single day. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul writes a little bit more about this to the Ephesian Christians. He wanted to pull open the curtain to allow these Ephesian Christians to understand what's really going on in the world and sometimes in us. He wrote this in Ephesians 6, for our struggle, Christians, is not against flesh and blood. Sometimes we think that it is, but our struggle is not primarily against that which we can see, but against the rulers and authorities and the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, Don't be surprised if what Jesus teaches us to follow is counter to what the world says or even how you might feel sometimes. Don't be surprised if you face opposition for your faith. Don't be surprised if sometimes bearing the name of Jesus means that we're going to be persecuted. What Jesus has given to us, his message, his truth, It doesn't mesh a lot of times with what the world teaches and believes. That's one reason we're at war. Another reason is this, that the devil is real and he's hard at work. And you know who he goes after the most? The people who are in the game. The people who have the name Jesus on their jersey. I mean, think about sports played for many years. Never once did my coach game plan for the bench warmer who never got in the game. If he got in, fine, but we didn't need a game plan around that person. It's the people on the court that you're worried about. It's the people on the court that can score, not the guy sitting on the bench with the Gatorade bottle. When you get on the court, when you're on the field, expect that the enemy... The devil is going to want to do all that he can to tear you away, to tear at your peace, to tear at your hope, to get a a gap or a divide between you and the Lord and his truth. Ultimately, what he'd like to do is tear you away altogether. So how about this? Christianity, understand, is not a playground. It's a battleground. And I have a feeling, especially in the last year and a half, you felt that. I have a feeling long before the year 2020, you felt that. I have a feeling in the middle of high school sometime, you felt like, wow, it would be a whole lot easier to do what everyone else is doing than to follow what Jesus encourages me. It's a hard message. It's a difficult one. But it, it's also one that is filled with encouragement. And here's the first thing I want you to know, that you don't fight alone. You're not 
on your own in this battle. And it, it made me think of how David in the Old Testament must have felt as a young man, teenager probably. And he's the only person, I was going to say man, but he wasn't a man yet. He was the only person in Israel that was willing to go in front of a real life giant named Goliath. And as he stood in front of Goliath, he could have said, Goliath, I'm David, scrawny shepherd boy. I have a sling and five stones and they're smooth, real smooth stones. And Goliath would have laughed. Who is this David? In fact, it says he did. He did laugh. But here's where David's heart was in the battle. Here's what he said in reality, verse 17. Here's why he was the only one willing to go in front of the giant. I come against you not in the name of David or in the name of my strength or my ability. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom Goliath, you have defiled this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And that same Lord, that same Lord fights for you. That same Lord fights with you. And number three, the one who fights for you is stronger than the one who fights against you. The one who fights for you is stronger than the one who fights against you. And I need to hear that because I know in my mind and heart how intense the battle can be. You see, all of us have had moments in our, our lives where we've failed, where we've fallen every single one of us. That does not exclude you from God's family. That's just the reality of, of this difficult war. And I think at, at the heart of it, when it comes to the enemy working hard on us and the, the sinful world working hard on us, I think at the heart of it, this might be true for us, that sometimes we just rather pursue comfort than Jesus. That, that it's easier to just not make any waves, to not be seen as different, that we're tempted to just fit in because we're tired. We're exhausted from being different, to just go along with the crowd. And, and that's a, a very real temptation for all of us. And if the battle of salvation was up to us, We'd lose, but the one who fights for you is stronger than the one or ones who fight against you. And you know who that one is? The one who fights for you. Here's his name, Jesus. 
Do you know that the New Testament, it, it gives examples of when Jesus was in a room, in moments of people being demon-possessed, that, that the demons would proactively say, leave us alone. <laughs> that what Jesus told demons to do they had to obey. One time he sent them from people into a big herd of pigs. They all went off the side of a cliff and died. And the man and the people who were healed of their demon possession were excited. The pig farmer, not so much. <laughs> That's who fights for you. The one to whom all must listen the one who, on the cross, that's what we celebrate every week, crushed the head of Satan so that while until heaven he has a little bit of power, there is a roaring lion, yet he is not stronger than the one who fights for you. It's like going into battle with a big brother who can beat up any bully that's in your way. That's who we go to school with. That's who we go to work with. That's who we go on dates with. That's who is on our side. And how do we tap into that? How do we tap into that power? Again, I, it, it's mentioning the name of Jesus. It's keeping him on your heart. It's not relying on myself, but instead giving it to him. I love how Peter says in the next chapter, he says, cast. The word would have been used for fishing nets to cast. He wants us to cast our anxiety, cast our stress, cast our worry, cast it all on the Lord because he cares for you. He fights for you. He fights with you. And then Peter, in these verses, gives us, as we close, a different perspective then as to what might God be doing in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our persecution even. Verse 13, he says, Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you might be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. What, what he's saying here is that the devil doesn't go after people who don't bear the name of Jesus. And so if you feel attacked, if you feel persecuted, rejoice in part because it means you bear the name of Jesus. You're a threat. And as a threat, you also become a target. But that's a good thing because it means that Jesus lives in you. The glory of God rests on you. Next verse. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Here's what Peter is saying. And this is a really important thing to think about as we consider suffering. Sometimes we suffer because of our faith. Sometimes our suffering has nothing to do with following Jesus. 
we suffer consequences because we didn't follow Jesus. And so we need to recognize that part too. There's a certain element of suffering when we decide, I call them consequences, when we decide not to follow the path that Jesus has for us. So that's not the type of suffering Peter's talking about. But if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Peter said, rejoice in your suffering and praise God for it. I don't know that I'm quite there yet. At least not all the time. You know, our our natural reaction to pain, God's given it to us, is to remove it. Try putting your hand don't try it, but think about putting your hand on a hot iron sometime. It's almost impossible to keep your hand there. The natural reaction to pain is to remove yourself from it. And I think that shows itself in our prayers when we're going through difficulty. I think so often our very first prayer, and for some of us, our only prayer is, Lord, remove it, remove it, remove it, get rid of it. I don't want to feel this. And let me say, it's an okay prayer. It makes sense that we would pray, Lord, remove the thing that's causing me pain, but I don't know that it's the best prayer. That maybe coupled with that is, Lord, until you decide to remove it, I pray that you simply use it. Use this pain. Use this situation until you decide to remove it. So what could God be doing in our suffering? Why does Peter say, rejoice, praise God? Two things I want you to think about. Number one, your suffering provides an opportunity to shine. I think the the moments when we so often hear God is great, God is good, is in those moments when things are going well. And there's a part of me and maybe a part of you that when you see someone say that after they just bought a new house or got a new car or got a promotion or got a a, a new grandchild would be, yeah, of course that's how they're feeling right now. Because something great just happened to them. But have you ever met someone who says, God is faithful and good. And it was in the midst of the worst news, worldly speaking, you could think of. That catches my attention. And you see, sometimes our greatest difficulties become our greatest platforms to lead people to Jesus. Our greatest challenges, our greatest persecutions become the moment when people are listening the most intently. How's that person going to react? What are they going to say? How are they going to handle this? And Lord knows we're not going to do it perfectly. We're not, Lord's not asking for perfect people, but I want you to know that your suffering provides an opportunity to shine. And maybe that's what God has in it for you right now to lead people to Jesus so that they see 
the hope that he can give, even in the midst of difficulty. And number two, your suffering provides an opportunity to grow, to grow in your trust, to grow in your faith. I think that if most of us look back over the course of our lives, maybe what I found to be true, you might be able to find as being true for you too. That it's not the moments when things were going great that I most relied on God's strength and power. It was in those on-my-knees moments when the things were at their worst and there was only one place I could turn because I knew I couldn't control the doctor's report. I couldn't control the consequences of what I just did. I couldn't control anything that I was forced to turn to the Lord and his strength and his power. And in those moments, we learn what it really looks like to surrender to his will, to surrender to his love and to his direction. I hope that this series has been a blessing to you. You know, I I still believe that probably the most important mindset that we could have as we travel through life is that this life is not the end and that this world is not our home. As Jesus said, we are in this world, but we were not made for this world, that we are exiles here for a little while, called and created to be different. And different is so many times better. As we close the series, I want to give you the same encouragement that Peter gave to the people he was writing to. In uh, chapter five, he writes this. The very end of the letter, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. After you suffer a little while, and he may take it away, this side of heaven, he most definitely will take it away in heaven whatever it is that we're suffering. And we're gonna look back on this time, on this season, millennia from now, as it's just a little blip in our memories and recognize that God did remain steadfast and firm, that he did give us the strength, even in those moments where we didn't feel like we could. So to him be the power forever and ever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, This is a a tough message, and in some ways, our, our hearts would prefer that following you meant joy and happiness and and good things, worldly speaking, every single day. But you told us, you told your disciples, you set out realistic expectations, and that sometimes in this sinful world, that it's a battle. 
and that the battle can be fierce. But Lord, may, may we go away from today, first of all, recognizing that we don't fight alone, that the ultimate battle, the victory over sin and death has been won by you, and that also that there are some really good things that you are up to in us and through us, even in the midst of difficulty. Lord, give us that different perspective as we consider your work in our life. We pray this in Jesus, our Savior's name, amen.